Hello, my good man. Welcome, everyone. It's time for On the Couch with Sick and Blue. A lot of crazy, crazy things. Looking at fantasy football from a deeper place. This is going to be a changing day in your life. And now here's your host, Sick and Blue. But I would not bone my mother. Who is the one player you can't leave your draft without? That and more this week on the couch. We are graced with fantasy football champion royalty this week. First time on the couch, long time coming. Sam Stompy Lane. Uh, well, the ground will shake when you leave a draft with who? Every one of your drafts, Sam. Welcome. Um, God, I mean that's tough for me. Uh, I think I'm extremely high on Austin Eckler. This year, I know I've, I've been getting a lot of pushback on. In fact, when we, we had talked last, I had, you, you were mentioning Austin Eckler and I, I put a tweet out. I think he can be a top five fantasy asset or fantasy running back this year. Um, but a lot of pushback with, Oh, it's Tyrod Taylor. He doesn't dump down. Right. Oh, we don't know what Justin Herbert does. But at the end of the day, he's the second best pass catcher on that team. He's somebody that's going to be used. Um, he had a hundred targets last season, despite still playing 12 games behind Melvin Gordon. I believe he was the overall fantasy number five asset in the first four games without Melvin Gordon, uh, with Melvin Gordon. I think he was the RB 10, right? So he's going to produce a lot of people are, are, are thinking Joshua Kelly's going to come in and start taking stuff. And I, I don't even know if he is the RB two on this team. Cause Justin, ja- I mean, we, we forget about Justin Jackson, how effective he has actually been in his first two seasons, how effective he was in college. I know he was one of Matt Waldman's favorites coming out. Um, so I just, I, I think Austin Eckler's due for kind of, and this is going to be a little bit rough, but uh, Alvin Kamara type season where he gets 80 to 100 targets. He gets 180 to 200 carries because I think they saw what they had last year and they're going to use him. And they obviously didn't, didn't look at that position too much. I mean, yes, Joshua Kelly went in the third, but at the same time, like Austin Eckler, they signed Austin Eckler, and I think he's just he's due for at least a top ten season, but I very easily can be a top five season. It's a good jumping off point to the uh, say you draw like one ten or one eleven, yeah, and already going wide receiver, wide receiver to start doesn't sound great. Even wide receiver, tight end, or wide receiver quarterback it's because wide receiver so deep later you want to get a running back who though. And I've talked about Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb as two same as last year. They're right around the same part of the draft of last year, but you bring up a good point with Eckler that I think people didn't realize is that even after Melvin Gordon came back, he was still in PPR leagues, a low running back one. And that's with Melvin Gordon, who is probably going to get more touches than Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly combined. Um, you know, there's the now Eckler's not going to get a lot of goal line love, but looming over this whole thing is what's this offense going to look like? Mm-hmm. And Anthony, Anthony Lynn doesn't give us confidence in terms of it being imaginative. Uh, it's going to take care of the ball. Like Anthony Lynn wants to win games like thirteen ten. You know, that that <clears throat> that's like his goal. <clears throat> Sorry, pardon me. Um, but you're right that Eckler could still get eighty. 
receptions. And actually, if we're not that confident in Tyrod Taylor passing the ball downfield, check down to Eckler, check down mm-hmm. to Eckler. Or these routes where Eckler can beat his guy uh, on short, quicker developing routes. It's more like Mike Williams. Poor Mike Williams, you know. Um, Hunter Henry, if he could even stay healthy. Hunter Henry's, to me, being way overdrafted. Like, Hunter Henry's a really yeah. easy one for me to say. I'm not going to take him probably even two rounds or three rounds after he's going. Um, so maybe it all just does come back to Eckler. Okay, let's turn the page. And folks, if you don't know Sam Stompy Lane, um, the, the winner, um, SFB eight, right? Yes, yes, sir. Champion. Um, and the, and I, and, and I bring Sam on this week for his first visit to the couch. Um, in part because I just had a delightful time with him and John Hoag on their show. Check it out. FF Mercs and, uh, the maiden voyage. So I was honored to take the champagne bottle. Yes, and sir. And, and also the, the SFBX Scott Fishbowl 10 invitations are going out. Uh, so this is fun, you know, um, it's like the world series of poker, you know, you're Doyle Brunson or I won't say Chris Moneymaker. You've got a lot higher profile than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 that's he's the, although he's the guy who like put it in the stratosphere. So, so l- let me ask you this. Um, as you made the journey of winning like a mega contest, um, when I ask you, Who's the player? Like, if you could go up to a player and shake their hand and say, thank you, like, I'm in fantasy football immortality because of you. Or if there was a moment, like a key decision that you look back and you can remember, if I hadn't done this or if this ball hadn't bounced this way, I wouldn't be able to say I was the champion of the fishbowl. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, so I got really lucky with um, injuries and stuff. I didn't really have an injury that season. So thank you all. Thank all of my players for – staying healthy. Uh, this is going to be a little bit out of nowhere, but Dejon Hamilton, <laughs> believe it wow. or not. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's funny. So I, I'm a Broncos fan and I was sitting there on championship on uh, the last game of the championship. It's the Broncos versus the Raider Raiders. I'm behind by like a certain number of points. And I believe the, that year it was like half a point for first downs, half a point for receptions, whatever. And I had Dejon Hamilton in that, in that game. And I was starting him because he, he actually at the end of that season actually showed some stuff for us. Um, and I believe it was, I actually, I actually lost at the end of the game. I was losing at the end of the game and there was a stat correction about an hour later that had me winning. And it was a Dejon Hamilton, I believe first down, uh, first down catch stat correction that put me, I was like 0.2 points behind and it put me up 0.5 or 0.3 ahead. So uh, Dejon Hamilton kind of just grinding it out and and putting up, and it didn't even have to be like 20 points. I think it was like an eight or nine point game for him. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was, (laughs) it worked out for me. So thank you, Dejon Hamilton on my own team, the Denver Broncos. It's funny that um, when we look back and we win a championship, we can find something really random like that. Yeah. That it seems like fantasy football is stupid. I mean, it's pointless. Like, why do we care so much when it comes down to a stat correction? Why do we see it as some measure of internal acumen or strategy or intuition or whatever we want to say it's measuring? But it's also what makes it fun because we can look back on an NFL team Super Bowl season and a lot more people care about how that goes. And you can turn, you know, 
whatever, last year if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't overthrow Emmanuel Sanders. I know Kansas City fans mm-hmm. were talking about D Ford lining up offside, you know, like th- that these little things. It's it, it's fun. It maps to it. And I'm just glad that when I ask you that question, you think of the journey and, and those moments along the way. I've had two different times that I won championships where only on Wednesday after the stat corrections did I actually advance in the playoffs. I thought I was done. So stat corrections are interesting. And this is a good moment to say PSA commissioners and people in league for that matter. It's still the off season. This is a good time. If you haven't already had a round of voting on new rules or bringing up things uh, that maybe are inequitable or should be changed, this is a good time to do that. But I'll ask you this, Sam, SFBX. And we don't know, right? Scott Fish, one of the true benches, like one of the best people in our, our little world. He hasn't released anything yet about the rules this year, no. right? It's yep. still a mystery. So what's interesting about the fishbowl and why it's a good uh, part, if you get to participate in it, and I know, and please keep it positive, folks. I mean, just have a chance uh, uh, if you get in, if you don't get in. It's still fun for us, and it, it's an injection. Yeah, I, I, so he, Scott Push put out another tweet yesterday. Yeah. First day of invites, by the way. Yes. And he's still getting people saying things. And it's just yeah. like, okay, first and foremost – I don't think you understand the underlying reason that we have these things. It's for fantasy cares. It's for that charity. He every year has grown it and it's, it's such a fantastic way for fantasy football to give back. So Scott fish deserves all the credit in the world, all the praise in the world. Everybody needs to relax. We're excited about it because it's a huge tournament. It's, I think probably well over 2000 people at this point. So it's a huge thing to try and compete in this, but we need to remember that this is all for a good cause. So just because you don't get in, realize that it's still for a good cause and support it. Yeah. And I've, I've always been fond of saying on the show, like at different points, you know, fantasy football is the thing you're worried about the most, or it's weighing on your mind that hopefully your life's going pretty well. Now times have changed a little bit. Um, and certainly I would say that more than ever, it's a good idea that if you're doing well, whether it be through fantasy cares or anything, um, to think about people who are less fortunate, but also poor Scott Fish, who's just a yeah. really nice guy, mm-hmm. has to be in the in the bullseye, the the, the target for people saying, "Well, I, I, did I get in, or how do I get in?" Things like that. Anyway, I'm getting off track as <laughs> I often do. The cool thing about the Fish Bowl if you need to participate in it is the rules are totally different every year. Like mm-hmm. you eventually alluded to first downs. Like that was two iterations ago. That wasn't even the innovation. You know, it's always ahead of the fantasy football curve. And what it does is it forces you kind of like we talked about on your show to take more of a stand on the players instead of trying to game the system yeah. because the lineups are deep because they're scoring uh twists that it's really difficult to grasp the implications but I'll ask you, uh, when you crack open the rules and you think about uh, strategy, you know, what's your process in a league where you know that it's not like any other league you've been in before? Generally, I don't think the scoring, unless it's like something like, like Superflex or six-point touchdowns, I don't think it really – matters for me until like the later rounds when let's uh I think last year we they, there were bonus points for things like 50 point or 50 yard um plays or 50 mm-hmm. yard touchdowns and stuff so when you're thinking about that like somebody like me Cole Hardman this year would be a fantastic pick later because you know I mean he had I think he tied for the lead with Tyree Kill in terms of like long like 25 plus uh, yard touchdowns so 
when it comes to that, that's where you're looking later in terms of like general strategy. I still go RB heavy early because I think, and I think it's been true over the last few seasons is that RBs tend to fall off pretty quickly. I guess in my head, they're picked a, a very early. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I got to get running backs early. There's a lot of value with wide receivers right now. If it's a touch, uh, tight end premium, I still don't even reach there because I still think there are, there is value at tight end. And we know from, especially over the last few years that what, getting outside of Kittle, um, Kelsey and Ertz, it's kind of a mess in tight, at, at tight end. Any given week, a guy can, can score double digit fantasy points. It depends on, I mean, like last year, you wanted to start a tight end against the Arizona Cardinals every week. And it didn't really matter who the tight end was. You were starting a tight end against the Cardinals. So for me, I don't like, it has to be a pretty extreme, uh, scoring where I I'm going to change that up, but where the scoring affects my strategy is later on where I'm getting guys that like can hit home runs, uh, right. Like maybe a Dijon Jackson who is kind of gone somewhat forgotten and there's not really that deep threat for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. And he could give you three or four long touchdowns and can win you a week. So that, that's where I think the scoring comes into play is in those later rounds. Yeah. Jackson's a great name to bring up because he had, I don't even remember the exact number, like eight for 150 or five for 140 and two touchdowns against Washington, who they play again in week one this year. And And who doesn't have a good secondary. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Quentin Dunbar, I mean, if he is, is even on the field, but they traded him away. Maybe right. it's a smart trade in hindsight, but they, they got Kendall Fuller back. Um, but they, they've got to break in so many players in the secondary. Yeah, I, I think it's the important thing contained in all that is look at the rules, look at the scoring, and think about how it, it distorts player values. But to go back to a couple of your specific points, so we talked about first-round running backs. Because the first-round running backs are going to be, you know, Chris McCaffrey's going to go number one in every league. And, and, um, Sam, I got this question yesterday from somebody, um, on, on Twitter, Amber Gabber, who's fantastic. I'm sorry if I, I'm not sure how to say exactly his handle. Um, but it's like Christian McCaffrey or, this was a dynasty trade, I believe, or Alvin Kamara and George Kittle. <sighs> and I asked him who his other tight end was. He said Higby. And I said, ooh. Well, that gives you freedom then to play around. And, and but the point is, this is all I'm bringing this up for Sam, is that that we even because you I can tell in your voice in your the sound you're making that you have to think about it. It's not yeah. automatic, right? You have to think about right. it. So George Kittle, who's a second, third round pick and clearly one of the, the top two tight ends, is a reasonable estimation of the difference in value between McCaffrey and Kamara, yeah. where McCaffrey's going to go first in drafts and Kamara is going to go like third, fourth, fifth. That's massive, and that's mm-hmm. just getting the number one pick this year and getting to take McCaffrey in a PPR league is a massive advantage. Mm-hmm. That quantifies it as having an extra second or third round pick, basically. Um, but so it's going to be McCaffrey, and then Barkley will probably go second in most drafts. Um, Zeke will probably go third in a lot of drafts. And the Kamara and then Cook, who probably will score at the level of those guys, but just – probably won't finish the season yeah <laughs> and then and then henry and someone will take henry sixth seventh eighth at the latest someone's going to take henry um and we talk about Mixon and chubb and eckler and then it kind of you speaking of mm-hmm. drop-offs then there's a big drop-off yep 
there's a big drop off, I think, to the next tier, which is going to be your Aaron Jones, your Miles Sanders, and depending on where you're drafting, Eckler may or may not be in that tier, but he should be. Your Miles Sanders, your Drake, your Fournette, Carson, um, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, etc. So if you're starting running back heavy, your pick in the first round is kind of at pretty tight parameters who you're going to take. What about in the second, third round? If you want to get two running backs in the first three picks, who is, whose name stands out? Well, I mean, I, I, I've already mentioned my love for Austin Eckler. In fact, I did a, a startup this uh, off season because apparently being in quarantine, you get bored and just want to start <laughs> start drafting. But I picked Eckler 207. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and, and that's how much I believe in him. And I, I actually, uh, after the season ended, I actually traded, it was a package, obviously, but Zeke and somebody for Eckler and somebody else. And I'd have to look back, but it was before the, I mean, we knew Melvin Gordon was going to be let go, but it was before the Eckler signing. So I, that's how much I believe in Austin Eckler. So I'm not afraid to take Austin Eckler in the second just because no. I believe in his talent there. And I just don't think there's much in terms of question marks around him, oh, uh, like with guys with like Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders. I mean, even like guys like Derrick Henry for me have questions. Right. Where it's like that's the first time that we've really seen at a full season. I would rather have guys like Nick Chubb. I would rather have the pass catchers like Austin Eckler personally because they give me that extra added um, PPR upside. And they, uh, the the Titans just drafted uh, Durante or Durante. I can never say his name right. Evans Mm -hmm. to be that uh, pass catching back. We, I mean, Derrick Henry's just not involved there. Um, I think you have to take a look at like the rookies, Jonathan Taylor. I know a lot of, I mean, there's, there's been some Naheem Hines news that mm-hmm. like, and I call it coach speak, but Frank Reich could use him and he could get 60 plus receptions in a season. He absolutely could, but I think that's just a waste. Dobbins, while hasn't, while he hasn't proven that he can be that pass catcher yet, he still had a 20 plus reception season last season, which is a good indicator that he will be able to catch the ball in the NFL. Um, after that, I think Kenyon Drake is somebody that we really need to take a look at um, because he will be part of a high-flying offense, hopefully a fast offense. And when you have – when you're playing uh, a 10 personnel, and, and I don't – I think it was – it was the highest in the league last year, but when you're playing a 10 personnel, that's going to leave a lot of the middle of the field open. So – Kenyon Drake could surprise this year and be a, a top 10 back very easily. And I, th- I would be comfortable with him as my RB two as well. Drake's a good one. I think anybody who had him last year, weeks 15 and 16 will never, he's a, the guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hug. He took a championship away from me. My good friend, good, good friend, um, Uriah Zane hunt. If you know, via three, one, three pizza in Austin, you know, you know, his and his brother's work. I was ahead at, at halftime of your championship. You know, when the early games are over, yeah. I mean, I, I think I had an 80 or 90% chance to win. And then Kenyon Drake said, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, Here, so. here's, a, here's an interesting one. And I don't think you need to reach here. Mm-hmm. But like J.K. Dobbins. Sure. Um, I view it as a somewhat, somewhat like the Chubb-Hyde situation in 2018, mm-hmm. where we didn't see Chubb much in the first half, but in the second half, he absolutely destroyed, nearly had a thousand yards on the ground, um, despite not starting really in the first, uh, handful of games. And I could definitely see Dobbins doing that because mm-hmm. 
Mark Ingram, while, while he was extremely efficient, let, let's be realistic. He's 30 years old and we're saying this as, uh, people well over 30 years old <laughs> that would not be able to play in the NFL, but he's 30 years old. He's, he's slowed down. He's not right. going to be used as much. J.K. Dobbins is a faster, possibly, probably stronger and just better overall Ingram in my mind. And, and, and that's saying something because Ingram was a Heisman Trophy award winner, but, I mean, J.K. Dobbins could be extremely interesting the second half of seasons, and you don't really need to uh, pick him, especially in something like a, a redraft that early. But that's somebody that I would be somebody I would be interested in, maybe uh, reach a little bit, maybe like the fifth or sixth round, um, if you want to take a shot there. Yeah, and I think you're, it's great to bring up the rookies, um, because last year the rookies were a mess. You know, um, Josh Jacobs, you mentioned, was good, but as soon as we knew his shoulder was broken, mm-hmm. the clock was ticking. And Josh Jacobs is tough, man, because I love Josh Jacobs. I was one of the people saying he's absolutely worth a first-round pick last year uh, in the draft. I loved him as a running back, and you got like market share people talking about the running backs at Alabama, and you got the measurables people saying a first-round running back should have like really special memorables. I mean, remember, that's, I just made up a word, I think, accidentally. Measurable. <laughs> memorable measurables. Let's put those together. What are memorable go. measurables? Um, but yet he had that game, and he was as good as you could have asked him to mm-hmm. be as an NFL running back. But, number one, they didn't use him as a receiver. Yeah. And they're probably not going to use him as a receiver this year. That was one of the best parts of his game. Yep. And number two, it's just the Raiders. And the quarterback play feels like it's going to hold back that offense. I, you know, Marcus Mariota is now the guy that's coming in to save the offense instead of the guy the offense needs to be saved from. That's not good. But maybe Derek Carr will be better than we think. Uh, but you bring up the rookies. So last year, the rookie running backs, and I know because I went down with the ship early on with a lot of these guys, you know, it's a similar analysis, although it's what I think the caliber is better. Because I liked Justice Hill last year. I liked Damian Harris because of Sony Michelle's knee, and he was a competent running back, one of those running backs that took touches away from Josh Jacobs. Um, I liked Daryl Henderson, maybe Daryl Henderson delayed impact. However, okay, Clyde Edwards player, you're going to have to take in the second or third round, which might work out. Yeah. It might work out just because of the alignment with the situation. Um, Damian Williams is still there. Jonathan Taylor, you probably have to take in the fourth. Maybe you get him in the third. He He's in a great situation. It's not like Marlon Mack is this high bar, although Mack has gotten better every year. But then you have Dobbins. And what you, what's great about Dobbins, and I like you highlighting him as if you're going to get a rookie, this is the guy you should get. Because there are runs last year, and this is why I like Justice Hill. There are runs last year that Mark Ingram got like a 20-yard run or a 15-yard run, that Dobbins is just going to house. Yeah. You know? Dobbins is going to give us, like, some kind of lines, like, you know, eight carries for 90 yards and a touchdown one week, you know? And then that creates momentum. If Dobbins does that once or twice in the first half of the season, how can you not be playing him more in the second half of the season as a, as a team with your strategy? So I think well, and that's, that's like, and that's but, why I like comparing him to Chubb because I mean that's what we saw in 2018 was Chubb would have three carries, but he'd get like a 70 yard touchdown and be like, oh, okay, I made my day there, and I think that allowed them to see, okay, well, we we obviously don't don't need Carlos Hyde. Um, mm-hmm. This was more of a okay, just in case he's a rookie, he takes a little bit longer to develop. But I mean, I think much like 
uh, Chubb, J.K. Dommins is NFL ready. He's fast. Oh, yeah. He's big. Um, he can catch the ball. So it, it's just one of those situations where Mark Ingram is a great running back. I, and I'm not compare, I, tr- I'm trying not to compare Mark Ingram to Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde being one of the most inefficient running backs, except for last year, he just came out of the blue with Texas and actually became a startable running back. But, uh, but Mark Ingram, like I said, older, slower. Um, probably not going to require or need or get 200 carries again. So if Dobbins takes over in the second half of the season, he could be a league winner for you because of the fact that you picked him up later. Um, maybe he's still, maybe, maybe somebody gets impatient with him within the first three weeks or so and sees he's not getting many touches in a redraft league, drops him, pick, you pick him up on waivers because you may as well stash him on the back end because he is such a good running back that there's just no way to me you can keep him on off the field. And then you look at what the, uh, the Lamar Jacksons, sorry, the Baltimore, Baltimore yeah. Ravens are, <laughs> and they're running the ball for 200 yards and passing the ball for 200 yards. They're an extremely efficient offense. I mean, obviously there's probably going to be some regression in terms of Lamar Jackson throwing touchdowns, but you're still running the ball a significant amount of time. And Dobbins getting 10 plus carries a game in that offense. I mean, you're looking at probably uh, some very good numbers the back half of the season. And it's just that one of the things I like to go back to, Sam, is like get good players on good offenses. Mm -hmm. Let the chips fall where they may. Things happen during a season. Injuries happen. Coaches' decisions to change the depth chart. Players just create their own opportunity. Talent creates opportunity. And talent in a good situation especially creates opportunity. So – we know that Dobbins is in one of the best places. And someone, old goalie, mentioned that Waldman loves Dobbins with the Ravens. I think it was about you know, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, when I asked Waldman who his number one dynasty player was after the draft. And he, I said, is it Taylor or Edward Hilaire? He said Dobbins. Mm-hmm. And I can't argue with that. I got another question from him this morning, trading 1-1 one, one for 1-3 one, and 2-3. Two, and, and Dobbins is close enough to Taylor and Edward Hilaire that – I think that's a fine trade. Well, and especially with with the wide receivers that exist where they're at. I mean, Brian yeah. Edwards, T. Higgins, exactly. uh, Pittman are are all there, and I think those are great second year wide receivers. Exactly. Really. This year, the first round stretches until the fourth or fifth pick of the second round. Yeah. So a pick of you know, having two three isn't that much different than having one ten this year. Who's your favorite, by the way? And it because so again in, in rookie drafts, and it's for, more for the dynasty perspective, but you can talk about this year if you want. Uh, because you have you know, Lamb and Judy are still one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, Jefferson tends to separate him himself out often as number three. And then it's kind of a free for all. Who's your guy out of that next group? Uh, it's, you, you know, it's funny. I, I think the obvious answer is Jalen Rager, but I don't know how obvious that is anymore. I just, He's very divisive right now. Like mm-hmm. the, the people who love him, love him, but the people who just don't are like, I, I gotta, I mean, I'm gonna take somebody like Edwards Higgins. Um, honestly, I like T Higgins a lot, um, with Cincinnati because I love, I love the offensive scheme there. Um, it, it reminds me of a lot of the 2018 Rams with, I, I, they have the personnel to, to play 11 personnel most of the time. They have the three wide receivers, um, in AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, and John Ross, if he can stay healthy. They have the Todd Gurley type of running back and Joe Mixon. And then now you have that rookie quarterback who 
maybe not this year, but, and I think he can be fine this year, but next year and you're, you're de- as T Higgins, you're developing with the quarterback. So I, I have to imagine that he is going to have some chemistry or T Higgins will have some chemistry with uh, Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. And he probably steps into the, um, steps into the AJ Green role, which we've seen be ext- and, and And obviously we don't know what AJ Green looks like in this offensive scheme, but AJ Green was a, like, I, a wide receiver one for years. And, and I think that's kind of the role that T Higgins can fill. Um, so we'll, I, I, I think I like T Higgins for the, the future. Obviously this year it's going to be a little bit rough, but of like those back in first front end mm-hmm. second, I think I like T Higgins the most. I like how you immediately said, we're not just looking at this year. Cause that's, yeah. I think what pushed Reagan up the board, right? Rager yeah. up the board. Uh, and, my thing with Rager was sometimes what he does is just floors you. You know, some of his stuff after the catch. Yeah. Some of uh, – on double moves especially. Um, if he's all by himself, he can go Spider-Man on the ball. But in the tougher, uh, more contested catch, running a precise route to create yeah. separation and things like that, that's not really there with Rager. We'll see. But other thing that I like that you did, and I, I don't know when I started just – mentioning frequently that I think of wide receivers, tight ends in fantasy football as a combination with their quarterback. And really, if we were going to be truly accurate, we'd say it's the whole surrounding offense, right? Yeah. This is that discussion where people go, quarter wins aren't a quarterback stat, man. That's <laughs> First of all, the quarterback has the most influence over the outcome of the game of anybody on the field. That's the why we... 30 plus times a game. Let's Right. And just, you know, I mean, we see, look, again, the Titans. Look at the Titans last year. How can you tell me that quarterback wins are not a stat whenever a change at quarterback completely changed everything about that team? Even the defense. I mean, even, you know, if you go, this is what's going to happen. This is what happened with Chicago last year, right? When the team doesn't feel like their quarterback is going to give them a chance to win or they have to overcome their quarterback to win, it affects the whole team. Anyway, the point is, I get it, I get it, quarterback Wins around a quarterback stat stands for the idea that everything's interconnected in football and you can't just isolate one player. But that's true about every single football stat. I was trying to think of one, Sam, like holding for offensive linemen maybe. But then again, if you have someone, you know, you have a quarterback who holds onto the ball for too long or something, that might still affect holding. Like, I don't know what stats there are. Even the kickers yeah. have to deal with like the snap and the hold. Every stat has that. So when you think about the value of a fantasy player, you think about all the surroundings that feed into it. And Joe Burrow developing with T. Higgins mm-hmm. sounds like fun. Um, and Higgins, you know, he he looks good. He's one of those big, long receivers who's fast enough, but he can make those plays at the catch point that are exciting. To bring up AJ. Uh, and I, I'm starting to I'm starting to see. I mean, it's kind of weird to see the wide receiver environment right now because a lot of it is okay. Slot receivers are going to have a significant impact early. That's why like guys like Jalen Rager could have a significant impact this year. Um, uh, Justin Jefferson could have a significant impact this year, though. That's that's a little bit of a weird situation with Adam Thielen who excels from the slot. But then you have the guys like Cortland Sutton, who aren't necessarily the uh, the 
separation type guys, the, the route runner guy type guys, they're just freak athletes. And Cortland Sutton last year took a gigantic step. And like, that's somebody like T Higgins, who he's, he's ex- extremely athletic. He's going to get you those 50, 50 balls. Uh, Kenny Galladay is another example of that, where that dude can basically catch anything and everything. Um, so it, it's kind of weird how the wide receiver landscape is starting to shape out where it's like, yeah, we still have those traditional X receivers like Sutton and, um, and Galladay, but then you have the, the slot receivers, Cooper Cup, uh, Tyler Boyd that break out because they are playing in the slot. So it, it's just really interesting to see how that wide receiver landscape pans out. Yeah. The slots it, kind of a volatile topic, right? Because you have like Amari Cooper is another good mm-hmm. example. Corey Davis, I think is an example of another guy that if he got extended opportunity in the slot, we might be talking about him completely differently. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that reminds me that. Uh, being able to win in the slot is, is the easiest place to win. It's the easiest place mm-hmm. for your talent, your abilities to become apparent. So that's why a guy like KJ Hill from Ohio State, who's a good old classic slot receiver, you know, you plug him into the same role as Cole Beasley or Adam Humphreys or someone like that. Mm-hmm. He fell what to the seventh round this year in the NFL draft. I think teams are realizing that you know just you can do better than just the classic slot receiver that gets open on those short routes. And Another then, interesting yeah. one is yeah. uh, KJ Hamler. You're right, I was going to. Yeah, you're ahead. Step ahead of me. Go ahead. Well, so I mean, I, we know how fast KJ Hamler is, and a lot of a lot of the way the NFL has been going lately is big slot. So Cooper Cup's a big slot. Uh, Chris Godwin's a big slot. In in Dallas, you're going to probably see a big slot at some point. I mean, all three of those guys are big and. One of them is going to play the slot. I would imagine that CD Lamb gets a significant amount of slot snaps. So while people don't like, may not like the landing spot right away, I, he could be impactful in a Mike McCarthy offense that has used that slot receiver. I mean, we saw Randall Cobb be uh, successful with Mike McCarthy. So CD Lamb could be very, um, very successful there. But KJ Hamler's kind of the traditional slot now, but he's got yeah. more speed. So Wes Weckler or Wes Weckler, Wes Welker, um, Julian Edelman types, those are guys kind of fast twitch. They're, they're the guys that can stop and start on a dime and, and they're, they're technicians in terms of their route running. But with KJ Hamler, at any point in time, that could, that dude will beat you down the seam and, and it's a touchdown. So I think he's extremely interesting in terms of this wide receiver class where it's like, okay, let's look at, and, and I, I'm using this as a transition to Drew Locke as somebody asked us to talk yeah. about in the, in the chat. But, um, with, with the weapons and yes, they're all young, but with the weapons that exist in Denver with Cortland Sutton, with, uh, Noah Fant, Jerry Judy, um, and then the, uh, two running backs, the, I mean, this team is speed, but with the two running backs in Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, They've got a, a defenses have a lot to worry about. Yes, mm-hmm. Drew Locke is young. He's a second year QB. He's still got some things to prove. But with Hamler there, you just get the ball in his hands and he can take off or he can beat you uh, to the punch and just blow past you. And with Drew Locke's arm strength, I mean, that could end up being an extremely hard touch, long, long touchdown. And so KJ Hamler may have like that kind of McCole Hardman type of mm-hmm. impact where he doesn't necessarily get those uh, a significant amount of targets, but he could win you weeks because he could get you just two touchdowns, two hundred yards on three targets, and and it's over. So right. uh, that's he's just interesting in terms of late where it's like okay, I need to plug a guy in. This is a home run swing, but it very easily could pay off. 
play him against the Chiefs when Denver plays yep. the Chiefs, right? When we're going to have track meets. Don't play him against the Chargers when he'll see um, Chris Harris. And Chris yep. Harris says, school's in session. Time to learn KJ Hamler. Uh, because, you know, he's another one that's like, when he's uncontested, when he can just use his using quickness and speed, he he's a player that can tilt a game. But it, it, again, if there's a contested catch, if there's something he has to done that's do this, more, he's a finesse player. That was my main reservation with Dante Pettis. And you mentioned Matt Waldman before I did, which is good. I think it's the first time ever on a show I've done where somebody mentioned Matt Waldman before. Listen, I will heap praise on you and Waldman all day. If no. you just want this entire podcast no. to be, oh man, you guys are the best. I, I listen to everything you say, but Waldman, seriously, in terms of like yeah. film study, can't get better than that because he, he's so open and honest about it. And that's why I trust him. Yeah. He's, you will get smarter about football just by listening mm-hmm. to or reading Matt Waldman. And we'll be back tomorrow night. Waldman put his rankings out. So that's fun because Waldman does blind rankings. And what I mean by that, it's like he doesn't care what we think. Like he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't look and he doesn't care. It's beautiful because his, his rankings will have true outliers because He's got conviction. But this is not a Matt Waldman show. This is uh, FF. And by the way, I hadn't mentioned, if you want to follow Sam, FF Stompy. Where does Stompy come from? Uh, nerdy. So ner- nerd alert here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I, I went to a chemical or I went to an engineering school, an engineering math science school, um, and the first person in my what ended up being my friend group, um, we met playing Halo, and this was 2006. So we met playing Halo, but I was just playing as a generic name, and the generic name happened to be Stompy. Well, the f- that friend that I had met is also named Sam. I didn't learn that till later, and he knew me as Stompy. So to separate us, I was just Stompy, and it stuck, and I've just kind of leaned into it and owned it. Yeah. Well, and I, look, we usually go the last ten minutes off the rails, and we can we'll come, we can come back to fantasy too. But this is good because this is your first time on the couch. We'll get to know you a little better. And no, look, absolutely. Let's be fair. Um, I want to talk football. I want to do my show and things like that. But it's May. Maybe we'll get OTAs in a, a few weeks. Maybe not. I don't know how much new football developments we'll have to talk about. We'll have plenty of time to talk about yep. those things. Um, but uh, I'll ask also about the the singlet. <laughs> You know, when I, when I won, I was just like, you know, this is kind of the, this is the fun of this is like, let's have fun. We're not, well, well, that was a huge moment for me. It, it kind of launched my quote unquote career in fantasy football. It was still fun. And so when it's that big of a tournament where I think that year I had beaten, I think it was a 1600 player tournament. So I'd beaten 1599 people. It's like, okay, that's awesome. And it just kind of reminds me, like, as we ramp up to it, it kind of reminds me of things like WrestleMania or like sure. those, those gigantic matches with 20 people, the elimination matches. And, and so I was like, you know, because I have this belt and, and I can show you the belt again, but uh, because I have this belt, I was like, this obviously the, the point is to come off as kind of a wrestling type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, let's, let's embrace this. I'm going to make one of those hype videos mm-hmm. or those challenge videos and i was like how ridiculous can we get and i was like you know me in a singlet because i'm a big dude me in a singlet would just set everybody off and and i mean yeah get negative comments but but we no. saw where it went with so many people also made challenge challenge videos after that and uh so i it, it was it was supposed to be bring the fun and and it just i think it was a hit and I've been known for it since. And by the way, by the way, 
Just you wait. I'm oh, not even, I'm, that's I got, I'm stepping it body up. Body paint? Year. Are we going to do body paint this oh, year? Oh, oh, just you wait. I actually, <laughs> I actually ordered something this morning and that's it's great. coming and I'm so excited because it's going to be over the top and I just, just wait. Yeah. It's going to be Good. great. On a couch exclusive scoop. Uh, just you wait is the headline. Just uh, no, it's great. Wait. And I, and I commend your, um, just your, I don't want to say courage or, you know, make it seem like it's some, big thing whenever so many people are showing true courage right now but you know dudes we can all remember when we were even pre-pubescent mm-hmm. but especially pubescent dudes are cruel and terrible oh, so yeah. to go out there in the singlet and to say yeah this is fun i'm having fun i mean it's just like a superpower it's like a shield that deflects anybody who wants it to be not fun and try to make it not fun but you pull it off man i mean you pull it off because i i and i feel like a different side it's almost like an alter ego, right? So you really do your aura in that photo really is like a heel, right? Yeah. So like if you were a heel, like what would your shtick be if you were a professional wrestling heel? How would you get the crowd to like spit at you and boo and like just hate to see you? Well, I, I think if anybody who listens to me knows, I yell and I, I will call everybody out and I will say you all are <laughs> idiots and you guys don't know anything about fantasy football or you guys right, don't know right, anything right. about wrestling. Right. I'm the best there's ever been. And I, I do that on my podcast. I don't necessarily do it to those heights, but I sure. yell at my, my, uh, my co-hosts because that's who I am. Like I have that. I ha- I can't have an overbearing personality, but I think it's, I'm the lovable grump at this exactly. point. Everybody knows who I am. And I, I compare myself somewhat to fantasy mansion to Matt Kelly, just because like he's, he's got the, I mean, he, if you want to talk about brilliant heels, Matt Kelly is like the most brilliant of heels in this, in this fantasy community. Um, but I, I just, I'm, I am who I am. And, and I, I, I've embraced it as I've gotten into my thirties where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a lovable grump. I'm a grumpy person. I'm going to, I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I think. And I think, a lot of people just don't see that. Like putting myself out there as, as this heel in, in a singlet was like, that embraces who I am because it's like, I'm a fun guy, but I will yell at you. <laughs> yeah. And you're poking fun at yourself too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is like not ever taking yourself too seriously. And I think that's the best way to be. My mother, may she rest in peace, taught me that one of the things she taught me uh, was that people can see you for who you actually are anyway. So don't try to make people mm-hmm. think something about you just be yourself uh and you know obviously i think that comes through on the couch comes through just with how i've put together what i've done uh but it's it unburdens you it's a relief to not try to put and believe me as someone who has anxiety and low self-esteem and things like that when you try to put yourself in the shoes of other people and think what are they thinking about me right now why did they just make that face when i said that or is everyone going to think i'm weird um it's exhausting and the beautiful yeah. thing is when you just be yourself, come act from your center, then your life I, – I want to write a book, Sam, about self-regulation, that there's so many things in life. It's like nature. Like, and I, and uh, you're a – we were talking about before the show before we started. You're a biochemist. So you understand the nature of equilibrium and mm-hmm. how it asserts itself and things find their equilibrium. Um, and in your life, if you're true to yourself – then maybe there are going to be some people who you turn off, but there are people that you didn't have it. There were, they didn't have anything for you anyway. The people who are drawn to whatever it is about you that you're not hiding or toning down are the people that should be in your life. 
I agree. And you know, the, the one, the nice thing about the fantasy football community is everybody is kind of this somewhat the same way, just in terms of we're more homebody. I, I guess I view it. We're more homebodies and we want to talk about fantasy football and, and everybody's so friendly. I mean, generally you, you do have the bad egg every once in a while, but everybody's so friendly. So it's just nice. Like you can put yourself out there and people are just going to embrace it. And that's the, and, and one of the other aspects for me is like, I know I have, I can have an abrasive personality at first. And it takes me a while for people to get used to me and then me to get used to them and how I need to interact. But once you get to know me and get to know my personality and know that I'm not like grumpy with you, I'm not mad at you. That's just who I am. Right. Then, then you, everybody embraces it. So that, that's, but that's what I enjoy about this fantasy football community is everybody's so friendly about largely everything. Yes. We have those tiffs on Twitter and stuff, but in general, people are open and honest and friendly with you in this fantasy football community. We just enjoy spending time together. Yep. I mean, that's kind of the ethos of my show is just we just enjoy – I mean, watching a football game is great, but watching a football game with someone else who enjoys the game, is, is witty, has some sense of knowledge about it, or otherwise is engaged in it adds a whole new level or layer of enjoyment to it. And I think the fantasy football also um, sprouts out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a friendly group. I mean, I think we've done a decent job transcending what people hate about social media and using it as a resource to be more involved in a positive way in each other's lives. And otherwise, um, especially now, you know, stay connected. Just that, that's another thing that fantasy football has been about too, is staying connected with people. It could be like people you went to high school with or college or you worked with. And it's a way for people to stay together. I mentioned you're, you're a biochemist and we talked about that, but I, I want to ask you just on, on that note to expand on something I brought up earlier. What, has because I remember I took um, I took a couple of chemistry classes at Syracuse University. They were chemistry for non science students, which was, <laughs> which was fun. Um, and the professor was great because he said he got into chemistry because he liked seeing the colors change. And he actually had a few patents and things like that. But it all started out like, wow, colors! I like colors. I like watching colors. Um, but c- chemistry is one of gets down to one of those like truisms of the universe. Like you're yep. seeing how the universe works on a very basic level and it, it can, I know it recasts in some ways. Well, think about how we use the word chemistry too, like chemistry between two human beings. Yep. We just talked about all this um, and how chemistry also embodies this idea that the amount of matter, like the matter can be changed, but not destroyed. The amount mm-hmm. of energy is the same. It gets distributed differently. It comes back to this thing that I like to say a lot about um, the universe and the oneness that the, illusion like our ego and our way of being in the universe makes us think we're separate from it but everything is constantly connected and constantly um exchanging energy and whatever electrons and things like that like why chemistry and how has it changed how you see the world and yourself well so just a little bit of a correction chemical engineer chemical engineer biochemical engineer so um believe it or not i'm a third generation engineer uh, gra- I, third generation graduate from the same, um, school. My mom, my mom likes to say she didn't push us. My, my sister's a, a civil engineer, so we have that in our blood. Um, but my mom likes to say, we, oh, I didn't push you towards it. I went to South Dakota School of Mines. 
But we, we, we found pictures of when we were younger with South Dakota school mine stuff on. Yeah. And I mean, I, my mom's from Rapid City, South Dakota. So, um, and my, my, my grandfather was actually the uh, president of the alumni association. So uh, there's some pride there. Um, but really, I think it clicked for me. We were, I was studying or we were studying, I think, hydrogen fuel cells in AP chemistry in high school. And it, I, that just interested me. Like it, it was something that clicked in my head and I really wanted to get to know more about renewable energy, um, and, and be part of the solution, you know? And so I, I started looking into it and, and hydrogen fuel cells, obviously not, I mean, it can be a renewable energy source, um, in terms of like biofuels and stuff. But, um, I started to get into biofuels and ethanol, um, in, in college and, and I started taking biochemical engineering, biochemistry, stuff like that in college. And it's just really interesting to understand the mechanisms of what's actually going on at a microscopic level with, with bacteria, with yeast, uh, funguses and stuff like that in terms of fermentations. Uh, yes. And, and, and that includes beer. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and then I, I went into the ethanol industry, decided to go back to school. Um, when I graduated with my master's, I went to a biobutanol, um, which is a net, another level of bioengineering. And then I decided to, I wanted to get into, uh, the science side of things. I wanted to work in a lab and, and now I'm, I, I work for a company that we grow bacteria. It's all naturally occurring. We grow bacteria. Um, that exists naturally on all plant life, um, helps, uh, helps with biomass, with yields and stuff like that. And we grow it to, um, concentrations that don't exist in nature, apply it to a seed and it increases biomass. It increases yield It increases health of the plant. So I'm not, I, I, I feel I have a, an impact even on a higher level in terms of I am helping with growth of plants. And it helps us get more out of those plants, which then we can get better margins for things like ethanol, which then we can start to, and, and I believe, um, we're on pace to have the, the, the United States is on pace now to have, I think, more re- energy coming from renewable sources than like oil and coal. So that's fantastic. But at the end of the day, I just want to help advanced society into a place where we can <laughs> live on this planet and not yeah. destroy it. <laughs> well, isn't that, you know, yes. Well, there's so many, now we're going to get into the show. I really want to do right. Um, there's so many different directions to go with that. But one of the things that's cool about what you described too, is I think by learning what helps these plants flourish uh, on different, mm-hmm. different ways, it's a knowledge you can apply back to yourself and to human beings. You know, there's, there's, it's all the same thing on all these different levels, turtles all the way down or however you want to think about it. Um, and you talk about living in balance. I already brought up first, I think it's first footprints. Um, the thing on Amazon prime about Aborigines, but we've known as the human family, how to live in balance and understand the, you know, man, it's like pharmaceuticals, right? Like, you know, hundreds of years ago, maybe a Native American would say, oh, if you have a wound, you should take some of that leaf and some of that and yep. put in some of this and grind it up and rub that on there and leave it on there. And then, oh, come to find out some active ingredient in that plant. <laughs> like everything we – this is like humility, right? Everything we know, we learn from nature. Everything. Yeah. Like everything we know, we learn from nature. 
We didn't come up with any of this on our own. It's always building, standing on the shoulders of something where we watched whatever. Like when we started doing airplanes, we watched birds. We're like, okay, maybe we need to make the wings flap. Yep. Maybe it's the shape of the wing. But we we didn't come up with any of that on our own. Um, and that's why we should be kind to Mother Nature. Some might say, Sam, that what's going on right now almost feels like a dispatch saying, mm-hmm. hey, y'all need to chill out. <laughs> you know? Maybe yeah, right. everybody calm down a little bit. Right. It's, I, I, it, we can compare it a little bit to what is it happening with Mark Wahlberg where mm-hmm. the, the plants fight back. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it kind of does feel like we just, we have so many issues with global warming and with taking too many resources and I mean, not, not respecting to, this thing. Yeah. Like just, just thinking it's here for us to just take as much as we want. Right. And this you know. feels like that fight back where it's like, okay, well, I mean, we're, we're slowly, I mean, humans are, are being, I guess, I don't know. I don't even know how to put it without being disrespectful. Well, <laughs> we'll just say the, the earth is fighting back with, the, with this, with this virus. And it's actually, I, I mean, helping in terms of no, I mean, I think like, Global warming is, is being reduced a little. I mean, not reduced, but slowing down right now. And, uh, the air quality is a lot better in so right. many places. People I think there was the a mountain pe- again. And yeah. That, that one was kind of crazy. to their natural yeah, so, habitat. So yeah, it definitely feels like it's kind of like, okay, maybe we need to actually start thinking about, uh, respecting the earth because it's, it's starting to fight back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just better, right? I mean, there's the, the one panel, um, editorial cartoon i always point to where they're at the climate change conference and someone says what if we make the world a better place for nothing what if this is all a hoax you know i mean <laughs> i mean it's, it's, but absolutely and i think you can even it's not just conceptual i mean i think even like some of the ways we've treated animals and some of the yeah. overcrowding and things like that mm-hmm. this is where some of these viruses and, and things happen where they cross over the the, the species boundary and things yep. like that but absolutely, um, the idea of of respect and trying to find balance and sustainability is something. It's hard because during this time, I'd hoped that the pause would cause people, more people would create a, a, a sprouting of some mass consciousness mm-hmm. of, hey, maybe um, – there's a there's some answer in between like what we were doing before coronavirus and the way our life is during lockdown that we can find that's going to be better for everybody. Uh, and I'm it's almost dismaying to me as difficult as it's been to live with the anxiety and mortality and things like that and just the suffering because coronavirus the thing about it is like you die alone mm-hmm. without your people and you don't even get to have a funeral you don't even like there's so much. There's wounds. There's so many psychological and emotional wounds right now all around the world. But then I see that we're just going to go back to the way things were, I guess, or try as hard as we can. Go ahead. I, I still have hope. I mean, let, let's be realistic in, in the climate and especially in the U.S. these days, the <laughs> things are all political. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how this, this face mask t- thing turned political, but I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised at this point, but 
I, I still have hope that people are seeing that we need to take care of our fellow human beings. Those without health care, they need help. Let's help those people without health care. And guess what? It has an effect on you because you get better health care as well, or at least, at least equivalent, but cheaper health care. Um, things like, guess what? Our, our jobs are being taken away, not by illegal immigrants, mind you, but by like things like robots, by automation and, Andrew Yang brought up the thought of UBI. And I think I have to think that people are more wary about where the money is coming from. So I have hope that people are seeing how bad things can be and that we need to help each other. It's not just, and people will bring up, well, what about like survival of the fittest? I get it. But I think part of evolution is social evolution is, is respecting your, your, the people around you. And uh, and I'm just hoping that beyond hope that people realize there are things that it's not about you. It's about us. And when 30 million people lose their jobs and are, and are struggling to find where they're going to eat next or, or how they're going to pay their mortgage, I have to believe that more people are seeing the impact and realize that we need things like universal healthcare. We need things like UBI to, move our society forward. I, I just hope beyond hope that yeah. that's going to happen. Well, I hope so too. I mean, it's really, and I know you said you're in your thirties. I mean, you're right on the cusp. I think it's the next generation coming up probably because my generation, I'm 44. Like we're the Kurt Cobain generation, you know, yeah. we're like the, who cares? It's all joke. It's all fake. doesn't matter anyway. Nothing matters. It's all not, you know, <laughs> right. times. Um, but I, I see more of that. But you know, this is where I go real political. I'm probably going to go over an hour. Sorry, Cecil. I'm supposed to keep it to an hour. Love but you, Cecil. Brought, we like talking. Yeah, we love. Yeah, <laughs> Cecil loves talking too. Uh, we all love to talk. We all love to hear. We love to hear the sound of our own voice. Um, there's a massive shift going on. Massive, massive, massive shift going on right now, uh, and it's really a continuation of a shift that was already happening. Um, and I and I also get dismayed, Sam, because I think that. I still feel like nobody wants to even forget about planning and how to make this go somewhat gracefully. Nobody even wants to acknowledge that it's going to happen. I think there's just magical thinking that, okay, in a little while, everything's going to get back to normal. It's never going back to the way it was. And the way it was, was never sustainable anyway. Right. It was never, it was never going to persist. Um, but I, what's, what hurts my heart, man, is that I think the cruelty and injustice of our system has always been there, and depending on what group you're part of or yeah. where you're adjacent to it, it's always been apparent. Okay, so I don't want to say these, not any of this is new, but now it's been just naked, like the curtain's been pulled back, and and it's I, I know some of it's maybe because we can't gather and do good old protests, but I just don't know what our appetite is for good old civil, civil disobedience and protest at this point, um, in, in reconstituting unions or organizing in some way so that we can take what we have and affect some sort of change because it's so cruel. What's been happening, yeah. who has been bearing the burden of this economically from a health standpoint, you know, as far as who's dying or which populations are most at risk and things. It's so cruel and unfair, and it seems like we have less will to do it. Like our ancestors, if we didn't have them in the 30s organizing communists and whatever, we would have never got to like the 40-hour work week or, you know, you know, how do we get rid of child labor and all yeah. those things. And we don't have it in us to do an incremental push that's not as big as those pushes. Um, it's 
it, it, the, compa- the lack of compassion. Here's how I'll wind this up, and then I'll let you run with it. The lack of compassion. I hope that people can see now. I'm going to get. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I've so many times hold myself back, Sam. You're inspiring me. Um, I hope that people see and forget about parties. It has nothing to do with political parties. The political yeah. party thing is more of a show, like wrestling, that is is more of something to temporarily distract us from the actual thing, which is those that have and those that have not. And the, those that have, with a few exceptions, just don't care about us. Yeah, They don't care about us, Sam. I don't know how much more people can see that the people who are are profiting off of our sweat don't care. I, I think one of the, the best examples of this is uh, Donald Trump with the methylchloroquine business. Right. Where he is, he was pushing methylchloroquine because let's, I mean, he had 29 million. Yeah. He had investment, but he had investments in the company. And there's a study that just recently came out that said methylchloroquine is actually killing people faster than if you did nothing. So I, I just, the, the thing about capitalism is it keeps you so distracted with regular with your regular life so things like how am i going to um how am i going to pay for my food how am i going to pay for rent how am i going to pay for how how, where's my health care coming from and what happens if i an emergency happens and and i have to pay tens of thousands of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to to uh insurance companies or to hospitals and we're so distracted by it that these, these people who, who are in power. And, and again, it's you, like you said, it's not necessarily to do with political parties because we see it on both sides of the aisle that you have ma- millionaires and tens of millionaires and hundreds of millionaires making the laws or paying people to make those laws. And it's more about who is, getting the most money from it. So I, I guess one of the best examples of that is, is this quote unquote stimulus, the $1,200 <laughs> stimulus where that's not good. Nobody's going to use that to spur the economy. People are using that for their debts that have accumulated because it's of just capital. going right back to the top. That money right. is going right. And unless you actually do debt forgiveness, the stimulus right. is just stimulus for the same people who are already getting enriched anyway. So you're paying the debts off to these Companies that make hundreds Banks of millions and billions of dollars anyways. Yeah. And on top of that, so not, this is the best part. So not, so you're paying off your debt to those people, but they're also getting bailouts. Right. Because they, I, I, and I don't even know how this happens. And I, I before I get angry, I need to probably breathe a little bit, but stop, I don't know stop, how this yeah. happens where after the 2008 crash, these companies are still, making horrendous decisions, doing stock buybacks and not be, being prepared for things like a recession. So you have to bail out United Airlines. You have to bail out these large companies that have are worth billions of dollars but should be able to weather the storm. Um, so it's just one of those things. Capitalism's not meant for the common people. Capitalism's meant for the rich. Yeah. And this is going to – people are going to start calling us communists oh, and whatever. And it's just like whatever. But that's the point is – I think that's a lot of it is, especially since the sixties and seventies where things like the drug war came in and it's, it was to, uh, stop to throw hippies and, and, and the people of color in jail for right. 
something and that's then the private indus- private prison industry. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So it's all tied to capitalism. Capitalism's not meant for us. And, and I just don't, and the, the thing that drives me the most crazy is the, the common people who argue for capitalism. They don't care about you. Those people making the laws don't care about you. Those pay, those people that make billions of dollars don't care about you. By the way, in the midst of all of the, this, this suffering from us, Jeff Bezos is predicted to be a right. trillionaire by 2026. Right. So, I mean, we need, we need something like the French Revolution. I'm not saying we need to go out and get guillotines yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and cut people's heads off, but at the same time, we need to fight for, like you said, things like unions. I mean, union busting has been huge in terms of the, the conservative party, but I, it's just capitalism keeps us so busy and the way that the laws have been written has, have keeping us to the point where we can't even worry about the government anymore because we have to worry about how we are going to survive. Yeah. That's in Karl Marx. That's in, you know, that's in Marx's writing that you can't really develop political consciousness. If so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm hoping because of the fact that this is affecting everybody and it nobody's safe from this thing. I mean, guys like Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson got this mm-hmm. almost died. I'm hoping beyond hope that the common people are seeing exactly what capitalism is doing exactly what the u.s government is doing to a point where it's like yeah we need to start embracing these quote-unquote socialist things like universal health care like universal basic income so we can have better lives for everybody not just the the people who can make millions of dollars and it's a mix i mean capitalism is great for creating wealth but it has no guidance whatsoever for distributing wealth to have a, a good society and good communities. So you, it's a mix. It's always a mix. Um, it's never, it's not pure socialism. And I know no. Stalin and, and communism, and it has a bad name. When the, and it, it's the same as it is in capitalism. Really, it's just like when you have no, when you have unfettered access to to the levers of of the controls, then you start using them just to enrich yourself. Yep. And it, you know, it, it's there's no specific right answer in terms of the system but there is the idea of the the um where you're coming from what are the values what are the mm-hmm. commonly held values um so and i want i want to re-emphasize yeah. this is ever these these are all the billionaires i mean yeah bill gates has done a lot with his money in terms of the bill and melinda gates foundation and i'm grateful for that but there is no reason somebody should be should have a billion dollars at what point like if you look at all of the comparisons like the difference between a million and a a billion is just so ridiculous right and why do you need a billion dollar what are you doing with that money like there's no way you could spend it yeah, you look, you're getting, you're getting, you're getting to the heart. Cause like when I was a kid growing up, I wanted to, I've said this so many times on the show, I wanted to be the play by play announcer for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I wanted to start the revolution and I still want to start the revolution. Um, and, and you know, in, in this idea that like, you're absolutely right that it's gotten out of control where the numbers have gotten so ridiculous that you have wealth that, you know, could never be spent in a lifetime by a family. And we're arguing over tax differences mm-hmm. that would never affect the person would never even notice it. They would, you know, <clears throat> with a tax hike on the richest people in the country that they would really never notice. Like it would just pass through and they would, and nothing in their life would ever change. We could start fixing some of these problems. Yeah. And, and we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Like Diego says, no one has worked for a billion dollars. No one's earned a billion. There's nothing you could do that would make you worth 
is exponentially more than anybody else. And all value comes from people. All value comes from individual people, from workers and consumers. And the thing is, the, for the capitalists, universal health care is good because a healthy, happy population produces more, consumes more. Because that's what's, what's going to bring the economy back is people feeling safe and producing and consuming, not um, the Fed devaluing everything. We're headed for like some real economic pain. Yep. I don't know how long it's going to last because you cannot just keep injecting trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy and expect there's not going to be repercussions. But now we've done it. See, now I'm going to get fired. See, Sam. Nah, Cecil won't fire you. It's fine. Cecil won't fire me, but I'm, Joe's going to get like a bunch of complaints. Yeah, so, that's fine. It's, it's political. Stick to I, football. Stick exactly. to football, gonna, Sig. But look, for me, and I think I hope that I've established my bona fides with people now um, being part of football guys for 15 years, that I, I care. I mean, really, for me, this comes from I just care about people, and I don't like seeing suffering. I don't like the sadness of the world, and I think there are things that we can do to help each other. Now I say that, and what do I do? I don't even have like a good side job, like a day job, like you, where I'm helping. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just doing fantasy football all the time. I would just rather weekend. do fantasy football. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I will say that I, I think a good yeah. way to end this is I, I don't know if you ever watched the show Jericho. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite, like just super dramatic. It's about the end of the world and like nuclear Holocaust basically. But at one point uh, on one of the, the episodes, um, they, they hear the radio comes back on and they hear like a, a voice that they've known in Kansas for a long time. And this, this applies to the rest of the world. Um, but at the end of the episode, you hear him say, take care of your, take care of yourselves, Kansas. And it's one of those take care of yourself world. Take, mm-hmm. take care of the people around you. Make sure the people around you are happy and healthy. That's a good way to end this discussion. Just, yeah. Take care of the people that you love. And that's where real meaning and purpose comes in life. You know, I I think um, through our connections to each other and through meaningfully helping each other is is what makes us really light up. And I'll say, as I said on your show, and I'm just being I'm getting up on the soapbox, but really, folks, um, wash your hands, social distance, wear a mask, wear the mask. It's a sign. The mask stands for the idea that I care about the people around mm-hmm. me. And if I am asymptomatically carrying COVID, I don't want to spread it to you. It's a, it's, a, it's a small inconvenience yeah. to take care of your fellow human beings. And, and again, I'll mention, folks, be an example. Be a leader in your circles. Wear the mask because I think if enough people do that, it doesn't take a lot, then it can be a tipping point and people will say, okay, and they'll feel that social pressure to wear the mask and we will be able to get through reopening and resuming a lot of our normal activities and not have a rising death toll and bringing hospitals to their knees again and things like that. So folks, um, and I think that talking to this audience, I think a lot of you are already very much in tune with that. Um, Anyway, well, long time coming, Sam. Thank you for the time again, folks. FF Stompy, just go to see him in the singlet. You pull it off, man. Like, you really pull it off. Uh, it's it's wonderful. Um, and then Scott Fishbowl 10 is coming around. More invitations yep. are going to go out. Be nice to Scott. Fantasy football. Lots of things blowing up at football, guys, as always. And all over the fantasy football universe. Check out, I was just on FF Merck's The Maiden Voyage with John Hogue and with Sam. And there's all kinds of other great stuff going on. And it's all because of you out there. There'd be not, none of this to do if it wasn't for you and your support. So thank you. Stay safe. We love you. Stay classy.
get a record player, start a record club, um, because it's the ritual. It's, re- it's marrying music back to ritual. And whenever you take your record out and you handle it very gently, because it's a precious thing, and you put it on the record and the sound of the needle going on the record, we all know what that means, how that prompts you, your whole life to remember it. And it's a moment in your life when you slow down and you make yourself ready to receive something. Hi, Cecil. I, I love you, Cecil. We all love Cecil. 